0: This is Women's Tech Radio,
1: a show on the Jupiter Broadcasting Network interviewing interesting women in technologies, exploring their roles and how they're successful in technology careers. I'm Paige. And I'm Angela. So, Angela, today we're joined by Tiffany. She is a UX developer. and She goes into the differences between developer and designer, front-end and back-end, and all this really interesting industry kind of separation that has happened over the years and why it's important. And we also get into a fantastic conversation about board games.
0: And before we get into the interview, if you're interested in supporting this show, if you're listening to it week after week and you're finding this content really awesome, which we do, <laughs> we have a really good time every time we record and we always get something new from every single episode, it's really awesome, you can go over to patreon.com forward slash today and that supports the whole network, but also specifically Women's Tech Radio. And you can donate as little as $3 a month or, you know, whatever's whatever you're comfortable with and it's a monthly basis, automatically comes out. Yep, and we
1: get started with our interview today by asking Tiffany what she's up to these days.
2: So, right now in the tech field, well, I primarily identify as a UX developer. So, um, as I tell people that don't really know what that means, I, I make things look pretty. So, I prefer and am really more of a front end developer, but um, I spend a lot of time on design teams and whatnot, whatnot. so I actually also have a design eye. Some people mistake me for a designer. I hate Photoshop. I hate design. Um, (laughs) But yeah. Uh, And right now, I'm actually uh, freelance, and I've been freelance since November, um, doing a whole bunch of hodgepodge jobs, including some YouTube channel stuff. But so a day-to-day for me is just really random because... It just really depends what contracts i have going and if i'm filming anything for youtube or anything like that so yeah not my every day is not a typical day
0: well that's awesome i like that
2: it is yeah um it's also really confusing <laughs> yeah.
0: especially when you don't get google sms anymore
2: oh God. yeah darn you google my <laughs> life was made by that made okay. or break
0: yeah I, I guess you'll have to maybe research another calendar app or something. Right?
2: Yeah. Something like or write, that.
0: Write something to... <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: So so for, for folks, because this is going to go in the future, Google just turned off SMS alerts for calendaring, which I think is lame because mm-hmm. I used the crap out of that feature. Mm-hmm. Oh, mm-hmm. But we'll figure it out. Yeah. So, so what is, if you don't identify as a designer, what do you think is the difference between a UX developer and a designer?
2: So a UX developer is somebody who, when they look at a screen and they look at essentially like what needs to be done, they think about it in terms of code. Like they think, oh, I need to do this. I need to adjust this padding, this margin, et cetera, et cetera. UX developer is more of a, it's the designer side. And then a designer, specifically a UX designer is usually um, their partner in crime um, if you're lucky enough to have a UX designer and a UX developer. And they think of things in terms of actual pixels and the modification of actual like Photoshop files and stuff like that so they don't really code. Um, and so they're dealing mostly in like various visual software editing tools to get mock-ups or interaction designs, which is a big one. And UX developers work with them to have those designs come to life and also... UX developers, because they work so closely and always really have an eye for that kind of stuff, UX developers also are really awesome because we, um, we usually have an idea of what like a good-ish sense of design or interaction would be. And we focus primarily on user interaction. When we code things, not narr- not always necessarily what's the best way to code something from like an efficiency standpoint of your code. Which gets some like really good UX developers can write super efficient, super awesome code that is also very user interactive and great for the user. But it's like this it's like a unicorn balancing effect for that kind of stuff. So yeah.
1: So like any other developer, you're probably not an efficiency expert unless you're an efficiency expert.
2: Yeah. <laughs> but um I am a front end developer expert. So I like it's it's really there's a phrase that was used and people have kind of stopped using it in resumes and interviews, but it's pixel perfect. And I feel that most UX developers, while we hate the term pixel perfect, like it's true. I can look at mocks or I can look at mock-ups or specs or I can just look at a web page and I can be like, oh, that's four pixels, it needs to be two pixels or something like that. Or, oh, that's five pixels and it needs to be six pixels. So it's just like, Usually we're very visual and UX developers, I've all the ones I've met really do actually want to be pixel perfect, which I hate that t- phrase, but it's true.
0: That's too bad because I think that would make a great title mm-hmm. <laughs> for this episode. <laughs> I, I feel like I need to ask you if that's okay.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, no, that's okay. fine. You can do that.
0: Okay. <laughs> Maybe I'll put it in the description. Like, Even though she hates the term, <laughs> find out what pixel perfect is.
2: <laughs> the only reason I hate it is because... So for like years there, when people realized that front-end developers existed and needed to be a thing, so there was this transition seven years ago in in the industry. I lived and worked out in Silicon Valley, and there was this transition where they started realizing that having a software engineer does not necessarily mean that they can do every, they're not full stack, like you have front-end software engineers and you have back-end software engineers, especially as more companies started developing products that were web-based. Like web apps and that kind of stuff because the technology space between being good at making the front end of a web app is very different from being good at making the back end of a web da- web app because there's just so many languages and, and concepts involved and efficiency for both ends of those scale. And so a lot of companies started posting job listings and like one of the requirements was attention to detail pixel perfect and it just uh. became this like buzzword in the industry and if you were talking with somebody and they were like yeah i'm pixel perfect like 90 percent of the time they weren't and it was just really frustrating because it was a buzzword and it was everybody used right it just and
0: it just kind of became vague yeah it sounds like
2: there's this great have you seen the the nailed it meme
0: yes with the was it with the kid little baby fist
2: yeah well no but so the one there was one that went around with cookie monster cupcakes
1: Yes, with the bat, the Pinterest fails.
2: Yes. So um, and it's a, oh it's a right, theme, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where there's like really beautiful something crafty, and then somebody tries to make it, and it's yes. like this horrible version. Yes, nailed it. We started doing that. In our company, the company that I worked at, the large megacorp that I shall not name, we started doing that to developers. Like we would do the nailed it where we would have the mock-up and then we would have like what they made.
0: Oh my gosh. And we would
2: do like nailed it.
0: That's (laughs) awesome. That's great. I just did a Pinterest fail on Monday with my kids. (laughs) It was like some sort of... um, flour and salt dough mix and then you put pebbles in it with it to make a design and my butterfly did not look like a butterfly and none of them looked good the pebbles were too big and <laughs> and like the, it cracked it was just bad yeah I pinterest it's like a whole other rabbit hole of doom i know well i didn't go to pin i don't go to pinterest i make a point not to because i'll get sucked in um uh my friend did oh uh, yeah it was a play date
1: so your friend is attempting to make
0: you a pinterest we, addict we jointly failed uh, no jointly i just failed. let her do it also mm-hmm that's funny though that is great it it did now did that was that good for like camaraderie and you know it i'm sure it kind of framed the culture of the of the company but it wasn't making fun of people that worked there was it
2: no it wasn't um it just started making fun of software development it was um okay specifically we were on, I was on a design team and we fought tooth and nail to get some front-end developers hired because at the time I was on the design team and I was the rapid prototyper. So they would um, they would mock up some like crazy ideas and then it was my job to just quickly make something that looked and they could like click around. So there's a lot of fake JavaScript connecting to empty calls, you know, lots of static text just being loaded in to pretend it was a database. But I was their rapid prototype maker and we really struggled we're like are my rapid mock-ups of their stuff proof of concepts would look like the specs and then like the actual product when it went over to engineering always looked really bad so my boss made those nailed it meme jokes for a presentation with the higher-ups to mm-hmm. convince them finally to hire front-end engineers.
1: Nice. Okay, the fact that you you got memes in a corporate presentation <laughs> in an attempt to like actually get headcount, that's impressive.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and after that, they started hiring people who specialized in front-end development and it really made a big difference on the product and I, I think that's, it's starting to become more common. So, when I went to college in 2005, when I started looking for degree programs, there was nothing that I could find that focused on UX front-end development. Everything in computer science was computer science hardcore. There was nothing that specialized in kind of like front-end and web or anything like that. There was, I think there was one program in some random college on the East Coast and I'd never even heard of the college. But now if you went and looked for those kind of programs, they're popping up everywhere because there's such a demand for those positions.
1: Yeah, I mean, even Stanford now has a full track web and iOS yeah it's crazy that's good so where do you make the division between like front-end design back-end I mean I know where I do but
2: usually I make the division where anything becomes visual on the screen so if anybody if you're putting something on the screen you're dealing with front-end design especially with the MVC model so model view and controller you can really separate front end and back end because you work with the back end team really closely to make sure that you're making the correct connections in the middle area, and then you can focus primarily on the view. And if you need to go into the middle area, you can. But there's definitely a lot of overlap between that area. That's where the most code conflicts happen um, mm-hmm. on check in. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I really make the divide at if it if it if it modifies a data structure that will eventually appear on the screen um, in some way, shape or form, there's an argument that that could be front end. But if it puts anything on the screen, it's definitely front end development, in my opinion.
1: I would agree with that. That's very cool. So now, so you're freelancing now. How how did you get into freelancing? What are your struggles in freelancing? Because I've definitely met a lot of people who are kind of like not quite happy in a job or they feel like they'd like to try doing their own thing. Like, What are some of the ups and downs for you since you just started?
2: Yeah. Well, so my case is, I don't, it's probably something that a lot of people can relate to. I graduated from college in 2008 and I had a job before I graduated. I actually graduated early so that I could go and work at this job. And I, I almost burnt out. I was, I was like super close to burning out after three and a half years at this, giant corporation that shall not be named. And I um, I had a friend that worked at another larger corporation, not giant, but large, um, that also shall not be named. And he was like, you should come work for us. That's super awesome. And so um, I changed companies and I worked there and it was really awesome for a while. And then that large company started to grow into uh, a megacorp, like a very large company. And it had a lot of growing pains and they, they had a lot of headcount reduction, either through layoffs or people just leaving because they didn't like the transition from small to large or or some from large to extra large. And so in the three and a half, I was also there for three and a half years. That's basically my boiling point. And the three and a half years that I was there, I was hired when there was 9,000 or no, there was like 8,500 employees when I was hired. Wow. When I quit three and a half years later, there was over 20,000 employees and we had a piece of software in the company that somebody made that told you how long you had been, it compared how long you had been at the company with everybody else. And like, according to that script that somebody wrote, I had been at the company more than 98% of the rest of the employees.
0: Wow. So big turnover,
2: massive turnover and massive um, influx of new people. Which meant that there was just constant turmoil and we were. I was in my last year of evaluation, the last like full calendar year that I was there, and I had you know the employee evaluation thing. I had five different managers. What? And mm. so I was like, and I was in charge of a very large code base, and I was working with people in Bulgaria and all sorts of stuff. And so I, I, I burned out. I like crisped out, and they were transitioning when I was there from Flex to HTML5 and um, so I was like I was in this weird straddle between Flex and HTML5 and I kept telling myself when they first announced they were going to transition that I would stick around long enough to get my resume padded to be able to add the H5 technology like officially and then I would quit and two years later my fiance was like when I met you, you were talking about how you were going to quit soon, and that was a year ago.
1: And you were like, "Little did you know, it was a year before that as well."
2: <laughs> yes, exactly. So, um, so I just I looked at my finances and I, I discussed it with my partner, and we decided that for my mental stability, <laughs> <laughs> it would be best if I just quit. So I quit my job, and I had a friend that was looking for some design work and web work and and basically an everything person um, at his, his like, he's trying to kickstart a product, a home automation system. Um, and so he needed me to do that. So I, I lucked out in that I quit and then immediately had a contract that could pay all my bills for six months. Mm. And that contract actually came to an end in May. And so now I'm looking for work elsewhere, like more contracts elsewhere. And I kind of, it's funny because I kind of just keep like, I have a friend that is very involved in a lot of tech networks in Portland, and she's probably one of the reasons we moved here, but she keeps like throwing things over the fence at me. And so I just keep accidentally getting these jobs where she's like, oh, hey, this is this thing and and, and you should do it. And I'm like, oh, okay. So I feel really lucky in that regard. I have not had to actively search for some stuff but I also am living very frugal yes my fiance is is doing most of the like we're basically on like a 1.5 income household right now Mm -hmm. so um but we're both fine with that because we own all the fancy technology gadgets we need and and use so we don't need to buy anything new and Portland is significantly cheaper than the Bay Area
1: oh my goodness right
2: Yeah. So it's actually kind of funny because like if we had lived in the Bay, if we had continued to live in the Bay Area, I would have had to get another job that was like an actual tech job because the cost of living is just so high. And that was part of the reason we moved to Portland was so that I didn't have to get a traditional nine to five tech job because I've worked for (laughs) I've worked for three megacorps at this point. Well, two megacorps and a large company that was becoming a megacorp and I just can't do it anymore.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. what was one of your favorite contracts that you've done since you left your most recent mega corp job
2: it actually wasn't video it was it actually wasn't tech involved really at all it was um i do some video editing i'm very i'm i very much am into the board gaming community and when i say that i don't mean like just playing board games i also review board games i play test board games for designers i'm friends with a lot of people at publishing companies that kind of stuff and also I'm pretty, uh, I'm not active on Kickstarter, but I'm aware of the Kickstarter tabletop world. And I usually know somebody that, I, I have two friends right now that are running Kickstarters um, on tabletop. So I had a contract from a friend where he wanted me to do his Kickstarter videos. And so part of that involved going to Pack South in Texas in January. Oh, darn. <laughs> yeah, that's darn. So That was a fun contract because the, the game that he wanted, he was making was about, it's basically you're like doing a mini role playing as the Goonies. Like it's your four siblings and you're going on this crazy adventure. And so it's a co-op and it's storytelling and like there's actual numbers and stats so you can lose even if you can tell the best story in the world. Um, and so it's it was a lot of fun because I would go and my job was to film people playing it, and people would just have such a blast telling these stories about how they were running around and like the mysterious forests and like, you know, throwing dung at trolls and all that <laughs> other sort of fun stuff. But it was it was a blast, um, and then editing all of that footage was also a lot of fun into a video. Mm-hmm. So that was that was my most fun contract, but it's it's not tech related. <laughs>
1: <laughs> totally fine. I, I think that that's one of the beauties of doing, you know, I, you know, kind of is tech related like video is still technology. And but being a freelancer, being a contractor is you kind of get some of that freedom to pick and choose projects to be, you know, involved in a lot of things to be a jack of all trades.
2: Yeah, I have a friend I am um, I decided to paint. I bought my fiance and a copy of Imperial Assault, which is a Star Wars dungeon crawling game. And I decided, stupidly, while he was out of town one weekend, I would surprise him and paint all of the miniatures in this game. And oh, there's wow. about, yeah, there's um there's about 40 miniatures. And they're like super detailed Star Wars, like Stormtroopers and Darth Vader and ATSDs and um, the heroes like Han Solo and Chewbacca and Luke and all that. And it was stupid and insane, but like at the end of it, um, I was able to tell the internet, I was... I was able to tweet about it cuz I didn't tweet while I was doing it cuz it was a surprise. And one of my friends online was like, "Hey, actually, can I pay you to paint my set?" Oh my gosh. Yeah, so it's this weird funny thing where it was just like cuz I cuz I'm freelance and I can just basically do whatever.
1: You can say, "Yeah, that's a project I'd like to do."
2: Yeah, I can get money uh, for painting miniatures, which is hilarious to me and a lot of fun, but also makes my carpal tunnel tunnel way worse. (laughs) Yeah,
1: right? Miniature painting is like the worst thing for that. So okay, so it sounds like you are super into board games. You review board games? Do you have like a YouTube channel or something?
2: Yeah, so I review board games and my YouTube channel is The One Tar. I also am on Twitter as The One Tar. I'm very active on Twitter. Most recently, if you go to my channel, most recently I was doing an unpacking series where when we moved, we packed all our board games up and then somebody on Twitter was like, you should make videos when you unpack them. And so I was like, okay. And then I did. And so I have 24 episodes of me just unpacking a box. It's like
1: re-unboxings.
2: Yeah. But like people are apparently really into them because they just want to know what's in the box.
0: Yeah. So what is in the box usually?
2: like all all of my board games oh okay oh it's your collection really right okay
0: so do you do you pack the box or is it i did
2: pack the box because this is when we moved
0: yeah oh oh okay i got it i thought you were like i well i wasn't sure if you were buying new board games and be like oh what could be in here or or if you were like putting stuff in there for the show but okay so it's a result of moving got it that's great yeah okay so
1: i'm i'm a bit of a board game player myself i'm not huge i don't have a youtube channel but uh i'm always interested in co-op board games because i find that it's the best way for me to get people who aren't board game people to play with me and a lot of my friends for some reason aren't board game people so what should i play
2: well what have you played
1: uh pandemic Mm -hmm. um zombie panic castle panic uh forbidden island and forbidden desert
2: okay so um, if you feel like you're ready for like a level up on your co-op experience and you want to go, if you like the zombie stuff, there's a game that's really popular right now. It's called Dead of Winter. It's produced by Platt Hat Games and it's designed by John Gilmore and Isaac Vegas, I think is this last game. But you are survivors. Every player, it's kind of this weird, the theme is kind of weird, but there's the zombie like, apocalypse has happened, so there's zombies everywhere and it's the middle of winter hence the name of the game and you control every player controls a group of survivors um and you're trying to work together to make sure there's enough food stocked in your like little base and also to make sure that no zombies break into the base and you also can send your survivors out into the town at the various locations to like look for things like food or fuel or that kind of stuff so it's co-op in that regard And in addition to that, everybody has a secret objective that they are working for. So like, for example, your secret objective might be at the end of the game, you want there to be five med kits in the base, right? And so those are secrets. So you're all working together, but you're also trying to accomplish your goal. And sometimes you trying to accomplish your secret goal might hinder the like survival of the whole group. Because you're like, well, my goal needs more med kits, but we actually need more food.
1: Hmm. Which
2: do I play?
1: So it's like co-op with secret personal goals.
2: Yeah, exactly. And if you want to take it a step up, you can include the saboteur when you deal out the secret goals. Oh, yeah. And the saboteur's secret goal is to accomplish his secret goal and also ensure that the rest of the, the players don't win. Hmm. So it's usually something like... You kill so many survivors and also you get this much food and then you run away. <laughs> like, that's your secret goal or something like that. So it's, the game has a lot. There's so many components in the game and it can be really overwhelming when you open it up. But there's a really good teaching series online by Rodney Smith called Watch It Played.
1: I love those.
2: Yeah, he does a really good Watch It Played of how to play it. And he also does a game with um, his son, Luke, I believe. That's awesome. So awesome. That's definitely a level up on your co-op.
1: <laughs> Very cool. Well, thank you so much for that recommendation. And this this has been a fantastic chat. We should totally get together and play some board games. Oh, yes. Um and maybe we will have you back on to talk some more about how all of that ties together and you can tell us how your freelancing is going and we'll definitely follow along. Oh, and if people want to follow you on Twitter, it's the one tar.
2: That's right. And it's spelled out. So t a r r sorry. B and then one spelled out.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Women's Tech Radio. Remember, you can contact us by emailing wtr at jupiterbroadcasting.com. There's a contact form at jupiterbroadcasting.com where you can drop down Women's Tech Radio to contact us, or you can go on Twitter. Our handle is WTR.
1: You can also find us on iTunes if you have a minute, leave a review, and you can check out the show notes at JupiterBroadcasting.com on our page, and it will also include this transcripts if you have some people who are, might be interested in the show but don't have the time to listen to us but are fast readers. Thanks so much.